0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring the Score podcast, the podcast where we offer our opinions on film scores and the films they're inspired by. I'm Chris.
1: And I'm Leslie.
0: Let's get started. Hey everyone, this is episode 5. Now, before we begin, because this is a little, very special episode. Uh, Leslie, have you been listening to anything other than what we're going to be talking about today?
1: I haven't been listening to anything movie related, but I have been listening to uh, video game score. Specifically, the one entitled uh, Shovel Knight.
0: I love Shovel Knight.
1: That is it's such a wonderful game.
0: That's a wonderful It's it's a great score too, especially um. Oh God, who's the uh, Plague Knight? I love his theme. You know, it makes me th- think of Danny Elfman a little bit.
1: Video game music, <laughs> uh it's hit or miss with me, but the old video game music I absolutely love. But we grew up listening to it all the time. So, um, like Battle of Olympus, you know that stuff gets stuck in your head. That was a good score. And Shovel Knight kind of reminded me of the old old classic NES. Uh, you know, adventure games is just wonderful.
0: Right, uh, Jake Kaufman was the composer for that game, and and it was very interesting the way he um, composed the the score for that. Uh, it was a, a software called Fami Tracker and he I ended up working with the uh, Mega Man composer. I cannot, I cannot. That's probably his... why I like it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've been listening to that because uh, that was me and you were in the car listening to that, but I also listened to Star Wars Battlefront by uh, Gordy Hobb fantastic score and it's like it's very very reminiscent of john williams star wars scores but it's like it does not use the same themes but it's just like it's almost there but not really but it works fantastically uh that and the uh recently released willie's wonderland <laughs> uh the, the reason why i wanted to listen to the score is uh, by a newcomer I cannot pronounce his name don't even ask me to try uh emoy i believe it's e E-M-O-I. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it up to you guys. But yeah, and it's basically Nicolas Cage fighting demonically possessed <laughs> animatronics. <laughs> <laughs> which is why I want to see this film. <laughs> and the score was uh, was very fun. And uh, um, the composer actually performed uh, this one very f- now famous songs for the film. It's the birthday song. And he was the voice of one of the animatronics in the film. Which is... Kind of nice, yeah, yeah. So that yeah, was pretty fun. So, like I said, today is a very special episode because every five episodes we would do be doing a composer showcase, and today we are doing James Horner. <laughs> I love that. I do too.
1: That's great. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, all right. So, really, that that was not. You know the the welcome for James Horner that he deserved, but that's what we're gonna do. For right <laughs> that's now.
1: what we have <laughs> for right
0: now. I mean, there may be something later on, but for right now, this is what we got.
1: <laughs> Very fitting, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That'll work.
1: So. Um, As Chris just mentioned, we're going to do our showcase today on James Horner, and every five episodes, we will be doing a showcase. So this is the first of many showcases, Um, but uh, I got to choose this one, so I chose James Horner since he is my favorite composer, and one of the first scores I ever bought was Braveheart, and it was on tape. So I think I wore the, (laughs) it was actually a two-set I think it was a two tape so, set. So that was
0: your first soundtrack you bought on tape, but your first soundtrack you bought on CD was um the Patriot. It was right? The Patriot. Okay, so first one on tape was Braveheart. Yeah. First one on CD was The Patriot.
1: And it was a it was a two tape I think deluxe edition or something like that. Wow. Yeah, cuz it come with uh, a bagpipe. I think it was like a separate bagpipe um uh uh bagpipe music, I think. Cuz I love Celtic music and I absolutely love the score to Braveheart. So I was just, I remember going to our record store because, you know, once upon a time we used to have record stores <laughs> and uh, I found it there. <laughs> so it was fantastic. It's Don't great.
0: laugh. <laughs> no, no, no. It was just more like, you know, back at once upon a time we have record stores. I remember that. I remember going into, I think it was, oh, man, I want to say Sam Goody. It could have been. And the we bought the tape to Nirvana.
1: Our our record store here was called Peaches. It was um off Airport Boulevard. So um it was pretty big.
0: That's Did you say where I peaches?
1: found Peaches. Yeah, I think Peaches. <laughs> if I remember different. the correctly, that was the name of it.
0: Well, which uh Braveheart, he was nominated for uh Oscar for that film.
1: Absolutely. I think it was one of his um his um uh his most uh, grossing uh, score besides Titanic. We will get into that. Um, but anyway, we regress. Um, James Horner was born uh, actually on August 14th.
0: Hey, that's my birthday. Mr.
1: Lott's birthday uh, in 1953. And sadly, he passed away on June 22nd, 2015. Um, he had a, it was an airplane crash. Because uh, he was a pilot as well. Yes, and they found him at fault for that. Um, but sadly, he passed away. Um, he was educated at London's Royal College of Music, and he wanted to be a concert hall
0: composer. Really? So not a film composer? Not a film composer at first.
1: Wow. I did not find what compelled him to do film I know it's out there. I just, I guess I didn't do enough research, but uh, <laughs> I, I, could, I didn't find anything on it. But uh, he, he was, you know, he, he was pushed into the film uh, realm instead of being his concert composer. Um, he began studying the piano at the age of five. Um, he is considered, uh, you know, by some people a retro. So um, he obtained his PhD in music composition at UCLA.
0: Really? I didn't know he yes. had a PhD. And he oh, used to
1: oh. teach. And I think he taught music theory.
0: Well, I could see that.
1: Yeah, he was a teacher. Um, his first credited film was *The Lady in Red*, and that was in 1979.
0: Now that's the first credited film. Now that's he's right. Under now his first film, I have it right here. Hold on. Just give me a second. I know this is terrible. Yep,
1: it's right here. Don't see that we we'll get
0: copyright strike. Right. All right, so the. Uh, According to IMDb, um, there's a short... I believe it was a short film called The Watcher, and it was in 1978, and then Up from the Depths, and that was a Roger Corman uh, production. Yeah, and prior... He he did work a lot with Corman.
1: Prior to that, he did a lot of shorts for college, so he did kind of, you know, uh, kind of what you do from time to time, Chris, is short film. Right. Uh, He did a lot of short film.
0: Now, um... After Laying the Red, it was Humanoids from the Deep and then Battle Beyond the Stars. Interesting note about Battle Beyond the Stars, James Cameron was uh, one of the set designers and he, from from another uh, podcast called Blockbuster, talks about how James Cameron basically worked his butt off in that film. That's how he ended up meeting uh, James Horner or at that time was known as Jamie Horner. Yeah, they called him Jamie Horner. And oh, I thought that was Jamie great. Horner. <laughs> well, was... one of the things they said about Battle uh, Beyond the Stars, they said that the score uh, really elevated the budget of the film is what Roger Corbin said.
1: Which we've discussed this before, your score can make or break a film. If it's done wonderfully, then the the, the movie is elevated and it sounds great. Right. But if you have a crappy score and the movie's crap, <laughs> then you have just a pile of crap. <laughs>
0: Elegantly put. Well, <laughs> Elegantly.
1: I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> um.
0: No, no, you're right though, because there, there's there's uh, a couple of times where I scored a film. Uh, now, the, the the film may have not been you know edited very well at the mo- at the time or whatever, but when, after I scored it, you know, one of the reviewers I remember saying that if it was not for the score, the film would falter, and 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 it does. A score will make or break a film, and
1: it's supposed to. Well, it's supposed to equate the emotions of the scene, the thoughts of the character. I mean, it's supposed to. It carries a lot of weight when and, you put it in the movie. And for
0: Horner, that early on to be able to elevate a film, especially a Roger Corman production, that that tells you right there the the magnitude of this this guy.
1: Yeah, and um, so. Uh, his first uh, big break was when he uh, did Star War- Star Trek. Sorry, I was about to say Star Wars. <laughs> My bad.
0: Oh, you just made a lot of nerds angry. I
1: did, and I'm sorry, because I am a Star Wars fan, but I like Star Trek, too. Yeah, it was
0: Star Trek, Two: <laughs> The Wrath of Khan. Yes. Which, that... After going back and listening to it, it is an amazing score. It is it's
1: an amazing score. And, you know, the ironic thing is at the time, they said that they couldn't afford Jerry Goldsmith any longer. So they <laughs> hired James Horner. Well, after the third or fourth, fifth film, then they couldn't afford James Horner
0: <laughs> <laughs> anymore. Well, he scored uh, Star Trek two then Star and Trek three. three. That's right. He did and two and three. Two is what really, like you just said, it really got him his breakthrough performance. And going back and listening to it, he, he, did incorporate the Star Trek theme, which was you know in Star Trek you have to, but then he also kind of created his own theme and it worked and and kind of complemented the original score very well.
1: Yeah, and um, which we'll, we'll discuss in a few minutes. But um, he had a, a good uh, he he was really good at doing that. Yeah, Complimenting and reworking and rewriting and you know remastering. He was he was wonderful at it. Um, so on to his awards. He has won two Academy Awards. He has won six Grammys. He has won two Golden Globes. Three Satellite Awards. Two three Saturn Awards. And he was nominated for three BAFTA
0: awards. And a partridge and a pear tree. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Wow that no, seriously, that is amazing to, you know, and, and it just compliments his work.
1: It does. And, you know, it, it. It he he was so good at so many things and uh, so many genres of movie. Um, he didn't just uh, write horror. Granted, I don't think I've, he's ever done a horror movie, but as an example, he's never just stuck with one genre. He's been all over the place and he's very versatile. And it shows with the awards that he's won how versatile he is.
0: I have to correct you.
1: Well, you correct me then. If I'm
0: wrong, I'm wrong. <laughs> Aliens. That's not a horror movie. It's sci fi. Sci fi. Sci fi horror.
1: No, it is it's, not horror. I disagree. It is mainly horror. No.
0: <laughs> Whatever. Okay, all right then. The other films I just uh, uh, talked about Up from the Depths. That's a horror film. Is it? A, it I know it, it. it was know. The Jaws Rip Off. And there was another one called Wolfen. <laughs> <laughs> Are you making fun of me? No. Yes. No. Yes.
1: So. Uh, some of the movies that he has composed for, I'm not going to read my whole list I have written down because he's done over 100 movies, and I didn't write all 100 down, but I'm just going <laughs> to do a selection. There we go. Uh, he's done another 48 Hours. He wrote for
0: Kroll. Okay, 48 Hours and another 48 Hours. Yes. Uh, Kroll, Star Trek 1 and 2. Wait, Kroll, that's the Lewis Joss- Louis Gossett-, Louis Gossett Jr. film? The Warrior King. Oh, I'm Oh, wow. I was way off.
1: Yeah. You're thinking of Enemy Mine. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yeah. He was alien in that one.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wrong
1: <bad>. movie. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I'm able to correct you on something.
0: <laughs> Only took five episodes. Be quiet. Be quiet.
1: <laughs> you know, movies aren't my strong forte anyway.
0: Yeah, I know his scores are.
1: So he's, he did Commando, Cocoon, Aliens, which you just mentioned. Uh batteries not included. What? Yes. That was James Horner. That was James Horner. Oh, I haven't seen that film in forever. Willow. i knew Moa. I love Willow. My favorite, Glory.
0: Such a sad movie.
1: The movie is sad, but the score is phenomenal. Field of Dreams An American Tale.
0: As in Five? Yes. Ugh.
1: You would not have guessed that, huh?
0: No. Yeah. Even scrolling on Spotify, I didn't see that one. The
1: Land Before Time. What? The saddest movie ever besides Bambi.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, that goes, tells you right there that Don Bluth had a fantastic, you know, pick by picking James Horner. I mean, that's great. Yeah.
1: Casper, which we knew. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Casper was great.
1: Jumanji, which we knew. Yep. Balto. Braveheart, which you just discussed, Apollo 13, and Titanic. Now that's only a selection. That's not all the movies that he has ever scored. So,
0: right now, his first credited film that we talked about this before is The Lady in Red. Now we listened to it a little bit of it because we couldn't find a straight, you know, soundtrack of it. A lot of it had like a lot of sound effects and everything. But what we heard was was great, especially with it being his first credited film.
1: Yeah, and you can tell he was a pianist because uh, a lot of his, uh, the the pieces that we heard uh, were piano pieces. Right. And um, they were really uh, well done. It it almost sounded like uh, you would, uh, concert pianist playing.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's what he wanted to be, so. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's what you said. He wanted to be a, a concert, you know, composer. And then so, yeah, that would that would explain why that soundtrack has that type of feel. Now, his last credited film is the Magnificent Seven remake, which was very sad because he only it was in 2015 when he died and he only wrote seven tracks for the film. Now, this was pretty much his first Western because the first one he tried out for was uh, Young Guns 2, which he did not get the part which the composer who did get it was Alan Silvestri.
1: You know, and I I read about um, Magnificent 7 because he wanted it to be a surprise, and he didn't come out and say it uh, before he died, you know, reveal that he actually worked on that film.
0: Well, the director, according to Entertainment Weekly, says, while I was making the film, excuse me, Antoine Fuqua, well, while I was making the movie, after he died, his manager and Simon Franklin called me and said, James had a gift for you, and he w- we want to bring it to you. They came to my trailer and said, James wrote the score for you. It blew me away. It was magnificent. James is an amazing human being. Now, when you go back and listen to the score, which we just did, and it was very reminiscent of James Horner, but you could tell that there was some you know addition in there, which was Simon Franklin, and... I mean, it, it was still mag, well, magnificent. It was magnificent. Yeah, it was magnificent. Like in the in the name, and, and it really was. It was a great, great score. And I mean, it's just it was sad that we could not get the full effect of James Horner for this film. But even though he he wrote seven tracks, you can still feel his presence in the score.
1: So, how would you compare his first score then, and to his last score that you listened to?
0: With the first score, it was more, I mean, considering the film and everything else, like we just talked about, it was more concert. More, It wasn't really, fle- it was fleshed out, but it, was, it wasn't like a rhythm. It didn't follow the story, I guess you could say. Whereas Magnificent Seven, it has a lot of depth. It has a lot of feel to it and, it. and it just invokes so much power. You can tell he had become a master at his craft at that point.
1: Yeah, I I feel uh, the same way. Um, I, I feel like that first score we listened to wasn't completely flat, um, but it was flat for him. Um, anytime you listen to a score by Horner, um, it's got this immense depth. He has he had this way of creating uh, depth for what he did. Um, it's like looking at a, a, a painting. And, you know, you look at a painting and you can tell an artist, yeah, this kind of looks flat. It's missing something. As opposed to, you know, the master artist over here where the the picture looks vibrant. It looks, you know, um, like a masterpiece.
0: So what are, what are some of the, the things that you like about James Horner?
1: Some of the things that I like about James Horner? Well, you know, I mentioned this before. Uh, he's done many different Genres. It's not just, you know, dramas. Uh, He's done science fiction. He's done dramas.
0: He's done comedies.
1: He's done comedies. And he did the children's movies. Land Before Time, for example. Um, But in all of those movies that he's done, they're all over the place. He has made some memorable melodies. Anytime I went to go back and listen to some of his work in preparing for this episode... I knew exactly what movie it was. Granted, I am a James Warner fan, but and I have listened <laughs> no. to Braveheart till I have worn it out, but I know the theme, and when I hear it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Braveheart. Oh, yeah, that's Glory. Oh, yeah, that's Apollo 13. Um, he had a way of making these memorable uh, melodies, but he also had a way of taking uh, these melodies and these uh, counter-melodies and... And merging them in such a way is that they just flow. And they flow nicely from, you know, one section of the movie to another or one scene to another. There's no break. There's it's just this continuity to it. And it's just, it's wonderful to listen to his music, you know. Um, as I mentioned, Braveheart, Glory, he even did Fill of Dreams. And, you know, if you've ever watched Fill of Dreams, that was a very memorable uh, melody. You could pick up on it very easily,
0: and the thing I like about him, though, is the versatility. I mean, he like you just talked about, he, he scored uh, not just you know so many different genres of films, but his style also would change from film to film. Like Forty Eight Hours and Another Forty Eight Hours, going back listening to like Braveheart and Glory and and Titanic. And even aliens, for example, and then you go back and listen to Forty Eight Hours. It's like, just like you would never even think that that's James Horner because he's got these. Uh, I guess it's a saxophone kind of reminds there. me of Fultemeyer, right? Very, very early Hans Zimmer almost. and with like the still drum sound coming in there. You would not expect something like that for an action movie starring Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte, but and especially you know to have James Horner. Be the composer for those films, so that's that's one of the things I really like. And he has always has a lot of movement, a lot of a lot of things. Now, one of the things I really really liked about um the Karate Kid remake, um, because I was listening to on Spotify, it was the uh, this is James Horner uh playlist, and of course, there was a lot of Avatar, Braveheart, Titanic, Titanic was one of the you know, some of the main ones. I mean, because it got to the point where I was having the you know skip some tracks. All right, let's get to something different here. And when I got to the Karate Kid one, I had never listened to the score. I I still have yet to see the film, which we may cover it one day. But listening to the score, it started up, it was sounded very, you know, similar of James Horner, you know, a sweeping orchestra coming in. All of a sudden, that's when drums started. Very big, huge percussion coming in there, almost on James Horner. And then of course, one of his more familiar instruments, the woodwinds come in. Which is I mean, it's it's expected. It's it's a you know film called The Karate Kid, so you expect to hear, you know, the And a the,
1: very Asiatic feel right. Maybe the pan it, yeah. flutes
0: coming in there and the woodwinds. But then it it got so massive and and just almost heroic and empowering sounding. It was like James Horner, but at the same time it was not. And it sounded fantastic. It made me want to see the film
1: that's the That's the last thing that I like about him. He was able to emote emotion, and I'm not talking about just feeling. I'm talking about emotion. He was able to take whatever scene that was going on and take that emotion and amplify it and he amplified it in such a way that you could feel what was happening in that. That scene, Glory, for example, you could feel oh, what man. those guys were were um, feeling at the time. And if you took the movie away and just listened to the music, he still was able to emote that emotion in the music. And you know, every time I listen to it, sometimes I get teary-eyed, depending upon how I feel. Right. Uh, Titanic. There were certain. Uh, um, there
0: were so many moments in the Titanic so many score. moments
1: in Titanic, and it's the same. With like with Glory, you take the movie away, and he was still able to emote that emotion in the music. He was a master at that. He could pull heartstrings.
0: There, there was a score uh, in a the, moment. The Juman, I didn't mean to cut you off, but the Jumanji score. Now you're talking about emotion. The way he has that wood, the woodwinds coming in there, and it had the 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 uh, the shaking effect to the to the to the flutes or the piccolos oh. coming in there. Oh, that's the, the vibrato. The, yeah, the vibrato, the, vibrato, the piccolos yeah. coming in. It it just watching the film and listening to the score it made me like very like you said almost teary eyed gave me goosebumps it's every time I hear that it's just like oh it, it it's almost electrifying to hear it
1: Braveheart's one of those scores that does that to me if I'm listening to it when I'm down I can't I so, will start tearing up
0: so what is your favorite score by him I'm pretty sure I can guess it's gonna be Braveheart no really glory really it's yeah. glory
1: Brave farts number two <laughs> <laughs> i guess maybe i listened to it so much till you know my my tape fell apart i think <laughs> you know back in the day where you had to tape it back together i actually pray that it works I, I
0: actually well i'll take that back there is one tape that i listened to so much i actually wore it out yeah I, it was I think acdc I wore it out. who made who Really? Really? <laughs> there, there's a special reason why, okay? We'll talk about it one day, but I'm not talking about it right now. But there's a very, very special reason why I listened to that tape so many times.
1: Okay, okay.
0: My favorite score by him, it's a toss-up. Let's see if you can guess him.
1: It's a toss-up. Mm-hmm.
0: Jumanji. And?
1: Who framed Roger Rabbit?
0: No, that was Alan Silvestri. <laughs> I
1: mean, that's not- a <laughs> toss-up. <laughs> How I shrunk the kids?
0: <laughs> wow.
1: I am way off today. <laughs> Man.
0: Time to, was, play, time to play everybody's favorite game, Who Scored What? by Leslie.
1: <laughs> I, I was just testing you. <laughs> testing right. you. Right.
0: Sure you were. Yes. It's it a toss-up between Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Jumanji. See?
1: I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not Who frame, Ish. Roger <laughs> Smart-ish.
0: <laughs> no. Um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids because it's such a fun score, which I talked about it like earlier back, but it really is. It's such a fun, fun score to listen to. There's so many different styles going on and it's just, it jumps around. It was great. I love that score. It is very cute. Jumanji for one of the reasons is like, I just talked about the, the, the piccolos coming in there, but also just how many different themes he created for that film. I mean, he's got a big, huge action adventure and then the, the quirky, you know, um almost very weird sound for the monkeys in Jumanji. And that was one of the main themes. Coincidentally, both films were directed by Joe Johnston.
1: You know, you just reminded me when you're talking about the quirky themes about the monkey. He scored Avatar. And if you listen to some of those weird quirky themes, man,
0: that that was Avatar,
1: a... you, you hear him in Avatar.
0: Oh yeah. And and the thing about Avatar was when that would kick in listening to that playlist, when that Avatar would kick in you knew it was something different, because there were so many d- weird different sounds going in, and it sounded wonderful.
1: Yeah, because it, it made sense. It, it's, it's strange.
0: The One of the tracks that played was, um, man, I cannot remember the name of it now, but it was it sounded almost like wind chimes going off, but it wasn't. It was something different. It was something else, but it sounded amazing. I'm going to have to go back and listen to the Avatar score now because yeah, of that. He,
1: but he was able to take these, these uh, weird elements and still make it uh, sound like it was part of the piece and the continuity was still there. I mean, well, it, it didn't break up. It didn't sound right. like out of place. Uh, it sounded like it belonged right there, right then. I've heard
0: a lot of scores, by a lot of different composers where they try to do something different, try to add in different instrument. It's, there there are a lot of times Like it a does... snare. <laughs> You're never gonna let that go, are you? Nope. <laughs> well, I mean, and that that okay, let's let's take that for example. He tried to do something different, it did not quite work. Whereas with Avatar, James Horner brought in like a whole bunch of weird different sounds and it works. It works wonderfully. Now, do you have a least favorite score by him?
1: You know, I was gonna answer no earlier, but you reminded me of one of them.
0: Let's say it at the same time. Ready? One, two, three. Amazing Spider Man. Spider Man. Yeah.
1: Spider Man. It, it was
0: the the reboots, uh, the second reboot that they did. No, no. It was the first reboot they did. Sorry. The one with Andrew Garfield. Uh, I, I don't know. It just felt like
1: it was flat or lacking or he was pressed for time or something. I don't know if it
0: was he was pressed for time or if this wasn't really. He just didn't have the, the feel for this film, but it was almost because listening to it on its own, it was like he was trying to do. A lot of experimentation, or he he was given too much free reign, or pressed for time, or something. But it also it just,
1: could be the director. Now it, you know it, that it could
0: have been the could have been the director. Could have been the studio. There, there's no telling. But it just didn't. There are a lot of moments where it did sound like James Horner, but ninety percent of the score did not sound like James Horner, which might be why they got Hans Zimmer to come back, come in for the second film. And I don't, I don't know. I I, I don't want to. Sp- you know, talk bad or, or say anything negative about the composer because he is, is a great composer, but this score just did not work.
1: It wasn't his best.
0: No, it, it, it didn't. I mean, even watching the film, there was a scene in there where the uh, the lizard is walking through the halls of the office and you just hear the, you know, piano no. burn. Even watching the film, we were sitting there going, this score don't work, this doesn't work. And then when we found out both of was James Horner, we're like, what? <laughs> Total minion moment. Like, yeah, you
1: had to remind me. I scratched that from my memory bank.
0: Yeah, because uh, we were talking about right before the podcast. I said, you know, what's your least favorite? I don't have one. I'm like, oh, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> we both talked about this. And
1: everybody, he is my memory. Exactly. Because <laughs> I am so eccentric. I forget sometimes.
0: <laughs> now, James Horner was criticized for a lot of different things. Uh, mainly, one of the main things was he was... He reused a lot of passages from his early compositions. Now, a lot of people kind of give him negative uh, publicity about this, saying that he was uh, not um, very versatile or not really versatile. He original, original. Thank you. He, he was not very original. I, I don't, I don't feel that. Now, if you go back and listen to the Wrath of Khan and you go back and listen to Wolfen, there were a lot of. Themes that he used in Aliens later on, but it, it they were changed enough to where it, it was still something different for Aliens. I I reuse themes a lot. There's a lot of composers that reuse themes. Hans Zimmer, he just recently did that. He used the the Kraken theme in Wonder Woman 1984. A lot of composers reuse compositions.
1: Now the other thing I read was that he reused other people's compositions and now, reworked that.
0: Yeah, for Wolfen, the main title theme is almost identical to a Rom I cannot pronounce this, Gaines uh ballet, ballet suite, which was already used in two thousand and one. Now, I, I went back and listened to both of those pieces right there. I could not tell the 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 similarities. I they to me both of them sounded way too different. I mean now this is according to Wikipedia. Um, Fulfilled the dreams. Uh, Robert Schumann's Renis Symphony*. Okay, yeah, maybe. One of the main ones, though, is *Honey, I Shrunk the Kids*, which was one of the main things on there. Was Raymond Scott's *Powerhouse B*.
1: Yeah, and he almost he he went in, almost into litigation for that one, if I recall.
0: Yeah, they had to go back because um of the uh, party behind that behind Raymond Scotts they they sued Disney for that, which. They had to put Raymond Scott's name on the uh, cue sheets. Yeah. Now, I I really wonder about that. Was that you know the studio's the dis- decision, the director's the decision, or was it James Horner's? And did he know? I mean, he had to have known, or is it just he did? He taught
1: it- music theory, so yes, he had to known that. That I, was well. His- I wonder
0: if it was more he he did it. He couldn't have done it out of spite.
1: No, he wouldn't have done it out of spite. But there are times where you have sat down yourself and you have tried to write a piece of music and they say, no, Chris, I want it to sound like this person. And you're like, well, if you want it to sound like this person, then you need to hire this person because I'm Chris Lott.
0: Well, which, um, perfect example, Spider-Man 2, Danny Elfman. um, Sam Raimi was wanting Christopher Young. You know, he was wanting that Christopher Young sound Well, Danny Elfman said, well, I'm not Christopher Young. I'm Danny Elfman. And which they had a falling out when it came to Spider-Man 3. Christopher Young was hired for Spider-Man 3. And so, yeah, I mean, that does happen. But, I mean, that that film uses that theme so well, I I wonder if it was just, maybe, I'm wanting to say it was probably more of, you know, afterthought. They were like, oh, maybe they thought they had the clearance to use it, and they didn't.
1: I, you know who knows, um, but he uh, has been accused for reworking um, reworking these pieces, um, and you can hear him rework his own pieces in his own movies. That you know that he's just his own themes we've
0: heard reworked. And yeah, because the uh, Casper really theme it. was used later on the Spiderwick Chronicles. I, I like I just talked about Wolfen and and Wrath of Khan. Now for Honey and Shunt the Kids, you also use corporate cues from Nina Rota's uh a score by Nina Rota from Frederick Fidellini's Arm which that one Nina Rota had to be credited at in the um, in the end credits of the film.
1: It was like writing a document, you know. You you write this scientific do- like for me, for example, I write this scientific document. I have to cite the source that I get the information from. If it does not come from Leslie Lott, I right. have to cite that it, you know it came from this periodical or this this author and the date. I mean, with music, you need to do the same thing. If so I use- wonder if
0: it was just more of an. Uh- Afterthought, it was more. He just used the themes and everything else. And oh, I forgot the credits on. I'm going with that. It's
1: quite possible. I now, mean, d- he was brilliant. The so
0: another other, other film that I can think of was 300. Tyler Bates used Elliot Goldenthal's a lot of cues from Titus. Now that, uh they were sued, Warner Brothers had to issue an apology and everything else. Now that was. Uh, kind of a big deal back then, you know, when that film came out. Yes, I don't recall. <laughs> well, I mean, for th- this, I guess that was kind of the same thing back when Honey, I Shrunk the Kids came out. So it must I'll, have been. Yeah.
1: But I was little. <laughs> I just thought it was an amazing movie about tiny people.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I just remember <laughs> the score being fun and it was a movie about tiny people. Yeah. And I, and I it want, had
1: Mick, Rick Moranis in it.
0: Yeah, and I wanted one of the ants. Auntie,
1: don't talk about auntie. That's sad. <laughs> we were talking about the land before time. Now you talk about oh, auntie. Man. I'm so sad. What is it
0: with James Horner and sad things? Glory, <laughs> Titanic, Avatar, Braveheart, Braveheart. Braveheart. <laughs> Honey, I'm shorting the kids.
1: Casper
0: didn't get James Horner. <laughs> Why are you gonna make us sad?
1: Yeah, he was able to take. I mean, he would yank that emotion out of the scene in a heartbeat and put a piece of music to it.
0: Speaking of sad, I mean, it was it was a big blow. When it was announced that he passed away,
1: it was. And I, you know, I was really sad when I heard that. I'm like, oh no, because the world has lost a, a great composer. Um, and in my mind, he was one of the best. He's one of the best of the best. Yeah, he
0: really is. And I, and I remember when it was announced what happened, because they announced the crash first and they said they believed James Horner was the pilot. And I remember sitting down, I'm like, no, man, not James Horner. It, it it can't be. And when it was announced that he did pass away, I remember I sat down and I started crying. Because the man, regardless of his controversies, was in fact a genius.
1: He really was. I agree. A virtual, so.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I mean, because like we just talked about with the emotion and everything else, there's only a handful of composers that can do that. Really put you into the emotion of the characters just by the score itself.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree.
0: So that was our Composers Showcase. Now, like I said, we will be doing this every five episodes. Um, now, since we've come to our fifth episode, I believe our next one is, what is it? Um, Star Trek. Star Trek. The 2009 remake. Now, that one's going to be fun.
1: I know, because I love Star Wars. I mean, Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did that on purpose. <laughs>
0: So as always, everyone, thank you so much for listening. You can catch us on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple, just pretty much everywhere else, Podbean. If you find us on there and you can leave us a comment, please do so. You can find us on social medias, um, Facebook, it's at measuring the score. Uh, Twitter is at measure the score. Sorry, I couldn't fix the handle on that one. Or you can just send us an email at measuring the score at gmail.com. So, as always, for Measuring the Score, I'm Chris Lott.
1: And I'm Leslie Lott.
0: Thank you for listening.